Welcome to episode 57 of the Hoop Threads podcast. Got a very special guest on today, Don Showalter uh, with the USA Junior National Team. Coach Show, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing? Man, uh, a little under the weather right now. That's what I hear. Recovering from COVID, but I'll live. Um, I'm, I'm here and uh, get get the chance to talk to you. So it's a great day. So um, kind of take me to the beginning of your journey, you know, how you got to, to where you are in your position now. Um, okay. And we'll kind of get into some of the specifics and zoom in. Yeah, well, I, I uh, you know, we'll start from from the beginning right out of right out of college. In fact, I started coaching while I was in college, actually, as an assistant coach um, while I was in college and 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 played basketball in college, but, uh, I had four, right out of, right out of college. I was, I was a head coach. I'd never spent really as a time as an assistant, so to speak. So uh, a little different path than most coaches take. I think, uh, for me, it was, it was a good path. Uh, I'm not sure I'd recommend it for all coaches. I think there's some real value in being, being an assistant to really in a really good program. Uh, but I had four jobs in, in Iowa, four high school, jobs in Iowa in 42 years um, and all those were different uh, my first job was I really had to build a build a culture build a program because they were uh, like 0 and 18 and or excuse me 0 and 36 for two years wow. uh, so so I really had to take that program and, and uh, do something different with it and then uh, the other job then I took a job after two years took another job which was a very uh, good job, great basketball job. So uh, they had had a lot of success. So I had to sustain a lot of culture that was already there. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to my alma mater for 28 years. uh, And uh, my high school coach was, he was a great guy that I played for. He had really brought a a big basketball culture to mid Prairie. And I just, uh, you know, I I had to step in there and, and just really kind of, uh, sustain that and, and continue the youth development that I had with those kids and uh, that actually started with those kids and, and uh, uh, you know the the programs are built with your youth and you, you can say all you want to with you know uh, high school programs but if the high school programs don't have good youth programs you're certainly not going to do very well and then I ended up my uh, coaching career at a large large very diverse high school and in Iowa City, which was a great way to uh, uh, to kind of end my career, uh, but we had we had to start kind of scratch with that again. So, really, four different levels, four different uh, high schools, four different challenges uh, to each one of those. So, um, enjoyed each one of them, learned a lot from each one of those. During the time, I also uh, got on with USA Basketball and and, and coached uh, coached their teams and been, was on some committees and helped out with the festivals. And my first um, coaching gig with USA Basketball was with in the Hoop Summit in uh, 1998. And I always tell people that, uh, uh, you know, the, we had a flop, we played against a uh, floppy haired German kid by the name of Dirk Nowitzki in that game. And uh, nobody really knew of him until that game. And, and we held him to like 35 points and 25 rebounds, I think it was. Uh, that was my, yeah, that was kind of my first initiation into USA basketball and coaching at that level. And, uh, had a great time there. Uh, Richard Griffith or Richard Lewis was one of our key guys there for that out of, out of, uh, Houston. And, 
And uh, uh, so uh, we had a good team. I wouldn't say it was a great team, probably not as good as some of the other ones we've had. And then, then we had uh, USA Basketball had some festivals that went on during that period of time where we brought in 40 players uh, from all, all areas of the country, north, south, east, west teams. And in, in that group was LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, Jason Kidd, and had some really good high school players. And we just played kind of a mini Olympics mm. during that time. So I, I coached in one of those. And then I was also on the selection committee and, and committee that brought into those kids until 2009. And then 2009, FIBA started their U16, U17 uh, uh, programs for, for all the countries. And then uh, they asked me to coach that group in 2009. And, and then I did that until 2018. And now I kind of oversee that program by scouting kids and, and uh, uh, bringing kids into that program. So that's kind of my, in a short version, that's kind of my pathway to, uh, uh, to where I am today. I mean, under five minutes, you nailed it, coach. <laughs> Efficiency. Uh, so kind of going back to you as a young coach, you know, how would you describe yourself? And, you know, what were some of the first lessons you had to learn as a young coach as far as, you know, coming up with your philosophy and then kind of implementing and changing things as you went? Well, you know, I think as young coaches, we're all, we're all think we know what's, we all think we know uh, what's going on we can, we can, you know, we can go into any situation and win right away and all that kind of stuff. And I found out real quickly that, you know what, uh, it, it takes, you know, it takes more than, than just basketball, you know, knowledge, so to speak. And, uh, there's a lot to learn in the game of coaching. And, and uh, my first, as a young coach, I, you know, again, I, I go back to my practice sessions as a young coach and, I look at them, I go, what, how did we ever get anything done with, with, with these practice sessions? So it's kind of fun to look back on those. Uh, but I think as, as a young coach, I was really, I love, first of all, I love the game of basketball. And secondly, I was really a sponge with what to learn. So I worked a lot of camps, went to a lot of clinics. Uh, I ended up working uh, UCLA, John Wood's basketball camps for 20, 20 years. I worked five-star camp, which was at that time, you know, during, during those periods, that's where everybody went. Uh, that was really before the age of uh, AAU basketball. So, so kids went to camps. Uh, but, you know, and then secondly, I, I think having a, having a great, having some mentors in your, in your life really helped me as a young coach. And so, you know, I had, I had mentors in, in, in the state of Iowa that I looked up to as coaches. I also had mentors like John Wooden at UCLA who you know, couldn't get a better mentor uh, than him. Um, you know, so, so I think getting a mentor uh, for a young coach is, is uh, probably one of the most important things a young coach can do to improve uh, themselves as a coach and as a person. Hmm. Talk about, you know, how that relationship with Coach Wooden started. I, I think you said that you wrote him a handwritten note and then yeah. kind of drove across the country to get there. Yeah. You know, it's kind of amazing because I think to me, coaches, a young coach needs to show initiative to what to what they want to do. And uh, 
you know, I, I was I was raised. Uh, my dad always was very. Uh, he he was he was uh, a person who never pushed me in any direction as far as sports and athletics, but he, he expected uh, that I that I. Uh, when I, when I did something, he expected me to do it the best of my ability. Mm. And so he, 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 he made that really an impact on me as a young kid, six, seven, eight, nine year old growing up. And, and so that initiative, I think carried over to, to coaching. And, and so I just said to myself, well, if I want to work, if I want to learn from the best, I got to work, work their camps. And so I wrote a handwritten note to John Wooden at UCLA back in, the early seventies. And, um, I just said, uh, you know, I'd love to be work your camp. And, uh, I didn't, you know, I really didn't figure I'd hear back from him, but a couple of weeks later, I got a handwritten note back from coach Wooden, which I still have. And, uh, uh, he just said, uh, you know, we're filled for this year, but I'm going to give you, give your information to, uh, uh, to sports world who ran the camps and I figured, well, okay. So, at least I, at least he acknowledged that I, that I wanted to work. And, and, uh, then, uh, about a week before camp started, uh, sports world called me and said, Hey, we, we need to counsel at this time. I was just right out of college. So, um, uh, they said, Hey, we need a counselor. We have more kids than we thought. Can you come out and be a counselor? And I go, Hey, I'm there. So I jumped in the car and went out to California. And, and, uh, while I was out there, um, the following week, a coach couldn't work for some reason. So they asked me to step in and be one of the camp coaches. And that was really my, you know, obviously my, 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 uh, time where I could uh, show what I could do and, and they liked it. And, and I was back ever since. So for about 20 years, I, I got to know coach Wooden very well. He, he's a, not only a great coach, he's a great person, very, uh, very loyal, uh, to people that, that show him loyalty. And, and so I just got to know him really well and, and was able to uh, use him as a mentor in a lot of ways and, and learn from him. So that was probably one of the highlights of my young career um, as a coach who worked in his camps every summer. Mm-hmm. Got you. So <clears throat> what were some of the things that like you took back and like some of the things that you changed? Were you kind of like a defensive-minded coach at the beginning and you took back some – you know, UCLA actions and stuff, or was it kind of the other way around? How did that work? Yeah. You know, I think, I think as a coach, you, you, you look at what other coaches are doing, even, you know, just because I worked John Wooden's camp doesn't necessarily mean I, I took everything he did, but, um, but, you know, when you're around coaches, you, you tend to, as a young coach, you tend to take in, you try and do too much. Hey, I like this. I'm going to put it out like this. So, I think what helped me out was coach Wood would say to me, he says, now, you know, you, you look at what you have and, and try and use the parts of, of what you learn maybe this summer or with other coaches and put it in your own program, make it yours. And so, you know, I, I took a lot of the practice thoughts that he had mm-hmm. uh, and, and kind of changed my philosophy about practices. Um, he, he did, he did a lot of line drills uh, for fundamental work and was a very efficient way to, to, um, to work on skill development. So I, I did a lot of that and I still do that with our, with my camps and, and even with our junior national team, I did a lot of a line, line drill work. 
Um, I, you know, his philosophy on pressing was really intriguing to me. I had grown up in a, in a program in high school that we pressed all the time. And uh, so I kind of took some of that, some of what Coach Wooden was doing with his 2-2-1 press and kind of mixed it up a little bit and came up with my own kind of press action that, uh, that I really liked and, and continue to do throughout my coaching career. So a lot of those things really um, formulated my thought process on, on coaching, uh, how to conduct a practice, the efficient, the efficient way to conduct a practice, mm. you know, the pace of your practice is really important. How you, how you, uh, how you can conduct a practice with good pace and learning that coaches, that you control the pace, not, not the kids. Uh, mm. Kids want to control the pace of a practice. Uh, but, but coach Wooden was always really, uh, emphatic that you know what here's the way here's how we practice and uh and it was really at, at a fast pace and he didn't let players control the pace so i took took that a lot and then i think some some one of the main things i took from him was you know it's not really what you teach is how you teach it and so you can teach it basketball is, is can be very successful in a lot of different ways to coaches if they, first of all, they have to, you know, have an understanding of what they want done, but it's how you teach it. It's not so much what offense you run or what defense you run. It's how you're going to teach those things and how much your players understand it. Not so much how much you know as a coach or, or how much you think that you, you know as a coach. It's what your players really get from it. So those are the kind of things that I learned as a young coach. That this stuck with stuck with me really for the full for the full duration of the time I was coaching. We'll get to that the practice planning and stuff in one second, but I, I wanted to touch on the on the camps real quick because I know Snow Valley is very important to you. Yeah. Um, it kind of seems like that's a that that's your spin on on Coach Wooden's camps as far as the fundamentals and you know really wanting to teach and really hammer in you know that stuff because a lot of the camps that the kids go to you know, it's maybe 20 minutes of skill work and then games, you know, but it's not really how Snow Valley operates. From what I'm told, I, I haven't worked it yet. <laughs> we'll no. get the coach, but, no. No. Uh, you know, talk about, you know, your vision for that and, you know, where, where it's at right now and kind of where, where you want it to go and what you want it to teach kids every year. Yeah, you know, Snow Valley has a long history. Uh, it has about 55 years of, of been in existence in the United States. Um, Really, Herb Livesey, uh, who now works for the Nuggets, scout for the Nuggets, he's the one that first uh, brought Snow Valley to uh, California. And it was the name Snow Valley. Uh, it's named Snow Valley because it got started in the Snow Valley Mountains of San Bernardino. And so it's just kind of called Snow Valley. Uh, it was an all-outdoors out camp, uh, very skilled uh, skill and development camp. Um, in fact, Bob Cousy was, you guys are, you're too young to know who Bob Cousy is. No, I know who he is. <laughs> Number but, 14 for the Celtics. That's right. <laughs> but he's actually the guy who first uh, had Snow Valley camp. He called it by a different name. It was his own camp. Yep. And, and then Herb Livesey uh, actually bought the camp from Bob Cousy because Herb had worked camp for years in, in the Boston area. And so it's kind of funny because then Herb bought the camp from 
from uh, Coosey and then moved it to California. Yeah. <laughs> and, and call it Snow Valley. And so as the process goes, I work being out in California a lot in the summertime uh, with John Wooden's camps. I found out that Snow Valley was really the camp that everybody said you need to work if you really want to work at camp to improve as a coach. Mm-hmm. And so in about mid 80s, I started working at Snow Valley camp and got to know Herb really well uh, and worked at camp and got to really appreciate the fact that it was uh, a teaching camp for both players and coaches. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Jerry Slykhouse, a good friend of mine, uh, we who has since tragically uh, got killed in a car accident about five years ago, but we, we both worked it and we uh, purchased franchise of snow valley because we said you know this is a good this would really go well in the midwest you know it's kind of a you know you're up at 6 a.m in the morning and and uh it's kind of i think a good really good midwest type of of basketball camp so Mm. we purchased the camp and it's been going on in iowa for over 25 years Mm. and it's a it's a skill development we do we do clinics uh work on skilled clinics all day uh, from 6 a.m. in the morning. And then we, and the kids only play one game a day. And that's at night. Uh, fully coached, coach, there's only seven, seven players per team. So everybody gets a chance to play uh, a lot. Uh, we, we have a great seven to one coaching player ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't, uh, you know, we want to make sure that every kid's getting individual attention on it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's probably one of those camps where it's, it's very much like the old five-star camp uh, back in the day when, when five-star was going strong and it was the camp uh, to have Howard Garfinkel, of course, was the, the owner and operator of the five-star camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it's kind of, kind of those two, you know, Snow Valley and uh, Snow Valley and, and the uh, five-star were the two, really dominant skill development camps mm-hmm. and um, now five stars kind of tailed off a lot of that was due to now kids play you know they play so much basketball on teams and and au teams and and club teams and, and play on the circuit and all that kind of stuff they really don't they really don't go to camps as much anymore uh we're, we're very fortunate we still have about 14 1500 kids per session per summer Wow. Uh, for, for four sessions in our Snow Valley camp. So wow. that, that's kind of the way that whole thing progressed and uh, it's still going strong. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we try and, uh, we try and keep that going. Don't we, we tweak it a little bit, but you know, we still get kids up at 6am and, and, uh, it's kind of a situation where, you know, they, they make it through the week at camp. It's kind of a badge, badge of honor. Hey, we made it through and, and uh, uh, I never, I never asked the kids really what they thought of the camp until about two or three weeks after they leave. The camp. <laughs> uh, but we have, we have great return rates, you know, 60 to 75% of the kids return year after year. So um, I, I think there's still a need for, yeah, I think there's still a need for it. Yeah. I think, I think the parents see what's happening and uh, they still see a real need for that as well to send their, son or daughter we have a girl session as well son or daughter to a, a camp that really stresses 
the fundamentals. It's not just a playing camp and, and, and don't get any coaching. So it sounds like, like a Hoosiers training day type, type yeah. of camp. So yeah, exactly. uh, let's go to practice planning. You know, what does every practice need to have? And, you know, what are, what are some of the drills that, that need to be a part of every practice that you put together? Well, I, I think a practice plan, basically, I really divide it, <clears throat> divide it out into thirds. We have a, a, I, I say a third of it should be skill, skill work, skill development. Mm-hmm. And so if you have an hour practice, you have 20 minutes of that should be skill work. Um, no matter if it's your first practice, your 15th, 25th, or, or the last practice of the year, I think you still need to have uh, a third of it be skill work, skill development. Uh, so that's, that's always a piece of it. Now it doesn't have to be like, uh, if you have an hour of practice, then have to be 20 minutes designated for skill work. It can be like the first five minutes for skill work. And then, then we can go on to something else and come back to skill work. So interspersed in that practice is, is a third of skill development. Then a third needs to be on what we call whole offense, you know, developing your offense, maybe three on three, a lot of work in three on three. One thing that we went to, uh, with the junior national team as well as we went to a lot of three-on-three work. Uh, we think that's a great way to teach sk- uh, skills. We think skills are enhanced a lot with three-on-three work, uh, you know, um, uh, using your left hand, uh, you know, defensive-wise, uh, you, know, you cover up for people. So we do a lot of three-on-three work. We call that whole offense, but obviously four-on-four, and, and building up to five on five, depending on what age level you're coaching. And then a third of it should be on whole defense. However, that translates, you know, you're, 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 maybe you're working on your full court press for five minutes. That's a part of whole defense, but also maybe you're doing working five minutes on your shell drill rotations. So that's part of the whole defense. So uh, I think that's one of the things that really helped me as a younger coach is to kind of establish all right, I'm going to spend a third of my time in each of these three areas. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, out-of-balance plays might be your, part of your whole offense. Uh, defending out-of-balance plays might be part of your whole defense. Uh, you know, teaching kids how to set proper screens is part of your skill development. So, hmm. you know, basically uh, my, my practice were two hours, so 40 minutes, 40, 40, and 40, I think, if, if, I'm, if I'm not a math major, but – <laughs> I think that's right. That's about a two-hour practice. So, mm-hmm. so I think that that helped me establish what I wanted to get done in a two-hour practice. And then, you know, I always thought I could get a lot more done than uh, as a young coach. I always thought, you know, I had maybe five drills listed I wanted to get done. And I only got through two of them. I felt I didn't feel that, that was a very good practice. Mm-hmm. So. The longer I coached, the more simple I got with my drills and made it, made sure that they were the drills that I wanted to implement in my system. I wasn't just going to do a drill just for the sake of doing the drill. I want to do a drill that related to what, what, what I was doing uh, with my team. And I, I think that Coach Wooden always said that. He said, make sure that your, your drills uh, relate to what you're doing as, your, as a team. He says, you know, it doesn't do much good to just do drills and not have them relate specifically to a piece part of your game. So when he, he his practice sessions, he really broke down his offense in, into 
two and three man pieces of uh, the high post UCLA offense. Mm-hmm. And that's what he worked on. And then he translated into three on three work, four on four work, five on five work. So, so, um, so as a young coach, I think that helped me out tremendously with, with practice schedules and how to make a practice. And like I said earlier, the pace of your practice is very, very important. Mm-hmm. You know, kids, when you say go to the baseline, you know, kids will walk to the baseline and, and, and you know, not sure. So I, I think as a coach, hey, that's not the pace we want. We want to, we want a pace where you, you run to your drill and you get into the drill right away. Uh, Cause that's a, that's a pace that you play with in games. It's mm. not a slow pace. It's a, it's a, it's a game pace. So that's the other thing I think in my practices, I got much better at uh, the longer I coached is, is building uh, game pace into my practices. Yeah. That's the one thing I noticed. I, I was lucky enough to, to go to your guys uh, mini camp. I believe it was in Minneapolis uh, at the final four. Yep. And that was what stuck, stood out to me was like the intensity and like the communication, um, how loud it was. And, and like you said, the pace, uh, there was something I think you, I heard you say in the clinic where you said, like, I never repeat myself. Like yep. I, I give the direction for the drill. And if you don't know where you're supposed to be, then that's on you because yeah. you know, that, that teaches players that they better actually lock in when you're talking in practice. Um, you know, yep. talk about um, what goes like some of the really important elements that go into building like a very loud, very active practice. Cause it's, it, it can be pulling teeth, you know, especially the yep. age level you're talking about. Um, you know, with youth levels and then where I coach the high school level, getting energy from the kids and getting kids to talk. What are some of the tricks that you have to, to kind of building that communication? Yeah, well, I think, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned one that I go back to a lot is, is, is players need to make sure they listen the first time. Um, it's really important. You know, you call a timeout in a game and uh, they all come over to the bench and if players think you're going to repeat stuff, they're not going to listen to you the first time. Uh, so you need to have them conditioned that when, you, when you're talking, they listen the first time. Mm-hmm. I always say, if you don't get it, what I'm t- telling you, then you better ask somebody else or whatever, because I'm not going to keep repeating things. That's not, that's not, good, that's not a good teaching method. Mm-hmm. And so we really emphasize that to, to players. I think the players then... Once they understand that, they when you're when you're talking to them as a coach, you don't have to be talking all the time. You can just say things one time, and then hey, let's let's get it done, let's do it. And then you have, then you put the onus more on the player than you do on all right, what you what you're saying. So now player knows what they're going to do. Now it's up to them to get make sure that that they're following through with what you said. Uh, and it goes forward to timeouts and games, yeah. you know, Hey, if they, you know, if two players aren't listening, you, you change defenses. It's not going to be a very, a very good uh, situation. So um, that's, that's really important. And then, you know, other things that in practice, um, a lot of times, I mean, I'll, I'll start to count backwards when something I'll say, all right, let's get in our, let's go to our UCLA drill and uh, two lines over here or whatever. And I'll say 10, nine and, and continue because I want them to, to get in a good pace uh, of practice. And then, and then all, that, that develops a good level of leadership too. So now you have guys saying, hey, you know, line up over here. Let's get going on this. So 
So now you kind of see who your leaders are and it causes players to, to communicate and to talk because of the fact that, you know, you're asking them to, to, to get in a drill. They know the drill, they get into it and then they uh, continue that drill. And, and you see players who step up and, and really communicate uh, with those. So, so I think that's a great way to develop your communication and leadership in your players. Question on that. You know, I want to jump in on that. Like the one of the biggest questions I wanted to ask you today was how do you develop a, a leader from from a kid that's very quiet? And, you know, he may be like a lead by example type guy, but he's not trying to talk, but the team needs him to talk. Yeah. You know, how, how do you go about, you know, making that happen without, you know, screaming at him and making him run? Yeah. Well, you know, and there's there's different types of leadership uh, as well. You know, some some guys are just naturally more vocal uh, than other guys are. And a lot of times what I will do is is I'll, I'll stop practice and ask questions. So players have to reverberate, regurgitate what I tell what happened in practice to the group. Uh, and, and I think. A lot of times that that brings out their leadership qualities. And I, I'll use a lot of I use a lot of leadership uh, phrases in practice. Mm -hmm. I'll say, "Hey, Johnny, use your leadership voice." For example, you know, mm -hmm. where he's kind of muttering, "Johnny, hey, use your leadership voice." You know, then he would know speak up so everybody can hear, mm -hmm. or or you know, use your leadership leadership style to communicate. Meaning, look look. Look the person in the eye, uh, call them by their first name, and hey, hey, Johnny, that was really a great, great way. You know, you 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 did that drill. So you you really, I think, emphasize the fact that you know leadership takes a lot of different forms, and some forms are just not going to be as vocal as other forms. But using phrases in practice, I think, really helps. Just knowing the leadership style, or I'll say. Uh, you know, if they're lined up in a line, uh, hey, Johnny, that's way to be a great leader. Mm -hmm. Your line, uh, you're showing great leadership ability, mm -hmm. or even, or even, uh, like after practice, a, a player goes over and picks up some cups from the bench with, with water, the excuse me, had water in it. I'll say, Johnny, that, that's a great way to show leadership. Mm -hmm. You're showing leadership by doing that. So they understand what leadership is. A lot of kids, you know, a lot of players, they don't understand what leadership is or, or even how to show leadership. But those kind of acts that they do that way and, and how they talk and how they conduct themselves, those are all leadership type of actions. And that I think kids, uh, players need to understand that's showing leadership. Hmm. Kind of to that point and talking about the pace of practice, and then we'll kind of move on to your time with the, the junior national team. You know, something I noticed uh, in, in Coach Beheim's practice, you know, he he really lit into one of the players. I'm not going to mention his name, but he really lit into one of the players and he was getting on his nerves because he, he lit him in. He lit into him like three times within like a 15 minute span. So the last time <clears throat> he he subbed him out of practice and did something that I learned from you as far as like, they need to be side by side, like talk about your communication 
with that player um because you, you know you said i never stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with my kids because that's confrontational and that's coach coach Beheim subbed him out and then he was trust me he was he was not he was not whispering when he came <laughs> to the sideline but you know he did bring him alongside and was explaining to him one-on-one -on -one, but he subbed him out to keep the pace of the practice going so that he didn't have to keep stopping so yeah. kind of talk about your communication rules with players and what you've learned in that i'm sure at the beginning of your career you probably yeah. may, maybe weren't the communicator you are nowadays oh no question and i think that's something you learn over time but but i think that all goes back to building a trust with your players you know that the, the trust that coach Beheim has with his players obviously you know is, has been built over time so the the times that he kind of as we say in the coaching world goes off on a player uh, for not doing something correct you know that that's not like it's just it just comes off the cuff. I mean, you know, he's had a relationship with players for maybe one, two or three years, you know, so they understand, you know, first of all, they understand why he said that, you know, they, they understand, uh, you know, they understand coaches. What the, there's sometimes there's a need to get their attention in other ways than we normally would, but yeah. we, we don't use it all the time. You know, we just do it. We pick and choose. I'm sure Coach Bayham is the same way as, as I've been to Coach K's practice. I've been to Tom Izzo's practice, Coach Wright's practice. They all have their, their times where, you know, they're going to get the player's attention. And when they do that, it's, it's, it's out of the ordinary for them. But the players have trusted them, you know, for, for many, many, many practices, years, uh, so they understand where and why the coach does that. Now, you know, when you, when we, when we, when we talk to players, I think as a young coach, I stop practice way too much because then you have no flow to your practice. So I, I've learned, all right, I'm going to pull a player out uh, a lot of times to visit with them, or I'll just pull him out and say, you know, go visit with, with coach Griffith, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to visit with you, but you go visit with Coach Griffin. And so, so you, you, you keep the flow of practice, just like a game. I think that, for me, that was really important uh, that that happens. Rather than stop practice for every time that, that a player messes up or commits a turnover or whatever, I think it's really important you keep that practice at a, at a, at a, at a great pace and you find other ways to do that. And, and I, I just think that's, to me, that was a big, big help as a coach. Got you. So the junior national team, uh, you know, that's a, a big part of what you're doing now. Um, talk about, you know, how student athletes can earn invite to camp, uh, what they need to be do, what they need to do at that camp to be <laughs> invited to yeah. the next one, because it's yeah. not automatic, you know, right. kind of talk about that. Well, you know, when we first started the junior national team in 2009, you know, we had Brad Beal, Andre Drummond, Michael Gilchrist, uh, Quinn Cook, Tony Roten. Those guys were all, we, we, and we, we, we certainly didn't know much about this whole thing. So we were, we kind of delved into it, just kind of picking players off the cuff. And fortunately we picked some really good players. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> during those 10 years, I think we've obviously gravitated toward uh, it's, it's not really a science, but it's more of what we're looking for to make a team. And in any team, 
you know, we'll have, we have several mini camps now, which give us an idea of what the kids can do before a training camp. Uh, mini camp will bring in 35 to 40 kids and possibly then look at them and, and take them through drills uh, in a mini camp situation before we decide who to, who to bring in a training camp. Um, so personally, I, we want to see everybody we invite. That's really important for us. You know, we, there's a lot of kids that are very skilled. And so, but we want to see what, what they do, how they, how they react to coaching. We want to see things that they can do, things they do but take no skill. Attitude, coachability, body language. Uh, you know, those kind of things are really important to us. Because we're, we're not an all-star team. We're trying to build a team to win gold medals. Mm-hmm. And that's our, that's our number one goal. So in, having said that, uh, we want to see how those kids respond to their teammates, how good teammates they are. So we actually go see every kid that we invite, uh, me and uh, myself and BJ uh, Domingo, we go actually watch the players, see if they fit to what we want. I think that's really been an important part for us. And we may bring him to mini camp and we find out, you know what, he's probably not, he's probably not going to be invited to training camp because he doesn't embrace the things that we want. And we're really, we, there's five different, there's several different things that we look at when I go evaluate a player. First of all, obviously they got to be skilled, mm-hmm. but there are thousands of skilled players. I mean, literally thousands in the United States. Uh, we, we have that luxury of having a lot of skilled players. You got to be smart. So now there's not, not as many kids are smart uh, <laughs> as you think, you know, smart goes into you know, decision-making on the court and, and knowing when, when a player, when a teammate needs to get the ball and, and, you know, uh, just awareness, having a big awareness on the court, that's being smart. Um, and we also, you know, tough toughness is a huge thing for us. We, over the past several years, we, we decided, you know what, we're not, we're not going to take a kid who isn't tough. We, we got to have tough kids because international competition, those players are, are tough minded. They're tough physically. We get, we got to have players that are tough. We, we don't want players that are just not tough. Um, versatility got to have kids that are versatile and mostly on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. So we want to have players that can guard many positions. Can, can, can we guard a, can a, can a big guard, a point guard in a, in a switch situation, you know, those, that's being versatile. Can he play more in one position? And we've had kids that come to us and, and they, you know what, by God, they're only point guard, point guard only. They're not going to be an off guard or a wing guard. Well, then you're probably not going to make our team because you're not <laughs> one of the top two point guards. So, so versatility is huge. Yeah. And then the last thing, and maybe the most important thing is how resilient are they? Things go wrong on a court. How resilient are they? Uh, you know, that, that's to me, that's one of the big factors how we look at it. Resilience and toughness are kind of a little bit in the same boat, but yeah. you know, you make a mistake on the court. How resilient are you to get back on defense? You make one mistake, you make two. You know, so, so those really are the five kind of pillars that, that we look at and evaluate players on. Uh, when, when I go out, and, like this weekend, I'm here in Benton. Arkansas evaluating players, and that's kind of what I look at. You know how, what, what, how do they fit those five pillars? Mm. 
I love to hear about the not getting back on defense thing because that's my number one pet peeve when they turn yeah. the ball and then they they either foul the kid or they don't get back and it's a right. five on four that that drives me insane. So that's that's good to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so you know, some people might say you know it's Team USA. You you know you have the best players in the country. You know, obje- objectively, they they say this should be easy. You know, it it. it it's it 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 isn't because I, I know it's not, but they kind of act like you can just roll the ball out and and we're we're automatically going to win. That's a part of the American arrogance that we unfortunately have to deal with in this country. But um, kind of talk about you know how you go about like we were talking a little bit earlier about objectively like like building that culture um, and like you're either doing this or you're not going to be playing with us type, type thing. Cause you, you say that, but you say it in much nicer terms. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we really, when players come in, you know, first of all, now is much different. It was five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, because most players know what USA basketball is. They want to be a part of USA basketball. Whereas in the early times, 2009, 10, Really, they, you know, you had to, you had to sell them really on the fact of playing for USA basketball. They didn't really know what it was, and and we are in our country. Our kids, there's really only two ways to serve your country, and that's by you know fighting, going to war, or through sports, representing. And so our kids, most of our kids, never represent our country in any form. You mm-hmm. know, they, they represent their high schools or or club teams or or whatever, but they don't really understand what it is to represent your country. And when they see other players that have this tremendous pride for Argentina, France, Spain to play for, I think it raises their awareness a lot. And so we really try and, and make it a point that we're, you're playing for something much bigger than you, than you are, than the coaches are. So we take the ego completely out of, of whatever we, we uh, whatever goes on with the players. Uh, you know, our expectations are, are we have certain standards. We, we call them standards. We don't have rules. We have standards with our players. And, and our standards are, are extremely high for our players. And, and we say the best, the best way that you can show respect for an opponent is to play hard no matter what the score is. Hmm. And, and so we, we, we really stress that, uh, that, that fact of it. And we also, I think one thing that has helped us is we use the word standards a lot to our players. So for instance, I may stop practice and say, you know, one of our standards is great defense. We are not living up to our standard right now. So, so I think we need to have a much better uh, level of concentration than we have right now to, to raise our level to raise our standard. And so we use that standard a lot with USA, as far as USA basketball goes. And then we simply tell players, you know, we, we are building a team. We're not building an all-star team. This team has to go compete um, on a regular basis for a gold, for a gold medal. And uh, you know, we, we have not, and we use exam. Now we can use examples. We've had teams for 10, 11 years. So, so we can use examples of players who are in the NBA right now, but weren't that didn't make our team for various reasons. So I think that kind of hits home a little bit as well. Got you. So I want to talk about the the 
old adage, you know, you never know who's in the gym. It may not even be that old of an adage, but <laughs> kind of talking about, you know, players, they, they, they'll see you, you know, in your, in your team USA gear on the sideline and stuff, but, you know, they may not know, you know, BJ Domingo, they may not know, you know, some of the high school coaches that, that, you know, personally that will text you about a kid, you know, either, you know, negatively or positively. Uh, can you kind of give a story and speak to that as far as, you know, just motivating kids to, to play hard, regardless of who you're playing against and regardless of the situation? Yeah. Well, you know, again, you know, I think when you, we emphasize playing for something bigger than they are. And still when, when we say, you know, you're, you're not playing for you, you're not playing for coaches, you're playing for USA basketball. And so that connotation is, that is a, a, a culture that, you know, you have to embrace. And some kids really, you know, Jalen Suggs would embrace that. I mean, he was, he was the ultimate competitor. Uh, Scotty Barnes, you know, he was the ultimate competitor. Uh, Jalen Green, uh, uh, Gary Trent Jr., you know, those guys were so competitive and they would embrace the fact that, you know what, USA basketball is a different level. And I'm going to display a higher level than, I, than maybe I would normally play for my high school team. So I think that all goes into the mix. And, and you know, now we have players that can come back and talk to our kids about that. So it makes them, you know, it makes it really, uh, our culture is, has, has continued to thrive because of previous players that have been in our program. I think that has a, has a lot to do with now our players, you know, taking that very, very seriously, but also understanding what it is to be a part of, of the USA basketball uh, culture, uh, so to speak. Few more questions that we'll get you out of here. I appreciate your time today, Coach. Um, you know, what have you learned from Coach K and Pop? You know, arguably the two of the best coaches, you know, in the game today, and then also just all time. Uh, you know, what what little things or, or big things have you picked up from observing them and watching how they do what they do? Yeah, I think most of most of it's very some little things, subtle things that they do and do. Uh, you know, how, how what what a lot of it's terminology and how they deal with players. You know, uh, you know, they're both dealing with high level players at their institutions. Um, and, and really, it's it's how how that relationship is formed both on and off the court. I think that's really an intriguing factor to me. It's not so much really what they're teaching. Like I said, it's more how they teach it and how they get their point across to the players, both verbally and non-verbally uh, on the court. Hmm. And so I think that's really something that. You know, they're both really good tacticians. They're both really good. But, but before you get to that point, they, they, that relationship has been built. They know, they know the pressure. They know the points they can, they can get to with the kids. And in other words, they know what makes each one tick a little bit. And so, so Pop may really get some, on somebody hard in front of everybody. He knows that that player can handle it and, that's a way to motivate him. Uh, he also knows that he needs to take another player off to the side and, and talk to him in very low, low, calm voice to get him motivated. So just, the, just watching them interact with players uh, is really intriguing to me uh, and how they get the most out of their, their players. 
And that's a that's a coach wooden thing you know i treat my my players fairly i don't treat them equally that's one of my exactly. That's, exactly. One, that's one of my favorite quotes so you've coached, honestly, you're you're in fairness you're in your fairness yeah you know, <laughs> i like yeah. that yeah you're in your fairness. if you if you're consistently to practice like one minute before practice starts shoes in tied not ready for practice and then you're late for a practice, I will handle you different than a kid who has been, who's always there 10, 15 minutes before practice, ready to go. And one day he's late. That to me, that's different, a different scenario. So you earn your fairness. Mm. So <laughs> you know. I, I'm definitely using that. <laughs> I use that a lot. Yep. I like that. Uh, so, you know, you've been at a lot of different levels of, of basketball, you know, at the high school level, as far as, you know, rebuilding program and, uh, you know, an established program, your alma mater, you know, coaching it with, with the junior national team, you know, what goes into success and, you know, is it different between the levels or is it pretty consistent as far as what you need to bring as a coach? I think it's pretty consistent. I think, you know, I, I think the consistent part to it is, you know, it's not so much about, I'll go back to some of the things I said. Uh, the consistent part is, it's, it's really how you treat your players, what your, what your standards are for your players, because players, players will rise to your standards. They don't want to disappoint a coach. Uh, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to dis. they, they want to, they want to try to hit those standards. So I think communicating your standards, being a great communicator, building relationships is all about coaching and much more so you know, as a young coach, I thought it was all the X's and O's. Oh, we do this, this, we're going to win. No, it's about, all right, relationships, knowing what, which button to push on certain players, how to motivate players, uh, you know, what makes each player tick is much more important and rel relative to how you're going to do as a team than the X and O's you run. So you're you're pretty close with uh, you know former head coach of mine, Coach Jones. Uh, yep. been pretty integral to his coaching development. You know he said that, and I've heard that from a couple of different people. What traits did you see in him early on? You know that that led you to believe he'd be a great coach with, with Team USA. And then what parts of his coaching game have developed the most in that time? That's a good question. You know, Mike's a very very close friend of mine. We we talk almost on a daily or every other day basis. Even now that he's at Virginia Tech, but. Uh, you know, first of all, Mike's very knowledgeable. Uh, secondly, what I like about what I liked about Mike to be part of USA basketball is he understands players. You know, he understands uh, how to coach them. He understands relationships. He understands uh, <coughs> he understands how to make that player better. You know, so I, he he just he gets it as a coach. Not a lot. Not all coaches, you know, are are in the same. Uh, same field as he was. Um, and so when, when we asked him to come on board with, with USA basketball, uh, we knew he was a great relationship builder with his players. And I think that was probably the, the number one thing. And then he, obviously he knows a lot of basketball. So that was, that was the second thing. And then, you know, uh, again, he's, he's a head coach, but he's a, he was also a great assistant. You know, he knew, he knew how to be a great assistant. He knew what things he had to do. Uh, to be a good assistant to make our program better, and uh, he and I just got along really, really well from from that aspect of it. Cool. So another one of your assistants, uh, Coach Turner, he said, "I, I got to ask you two questions. Uh, <laughs> your 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 top three steakhouses." 
is the first. Oh one. man, there's a lot of good stuff. My 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 top one is uh, Peter Luger's in Brooklyn, New York. That's without a doubt. That's still my top one. Uh, probably my second favorite one is uh, El Gaucho's in uh, Portland, Oregon. Okay. Uh, that's that's without a doubt one of the best. Wolfgang's in Manhattan is really good as well, and and Joe's Steakhouse in Vegas and Chicago are, are right up there. So. Okay. I got I got one in every city. Bones <laughs> Bones in Atlanta is really good. Charlie's in Orlando is really good. Manny's and Murray's in Minneapolis is great. So I I got them in every town, every city. <laughs> yeah, he, he said I got to ask you about steaks or desserts. One of the one of the yeah, two. Right. And then uh, he said you you wouldn't duck this question, so I'm I'm gonna hold you to it. Who are the top five players you've coached with Team USA and why? Oh man. You know, I, I gravitate toward the guys who are just bulldogs, who just are tough. Uh, you know, Brad Beal, just because not of his skill level. But guys like Gary Trent Jr., uh, Trey Jones, Tyus Jones, uh, Jalen Suggs, Scotty Barnes, uh, you know, uh, Jalen Green. Uh, it, uh, those guys are just, just tough-minded. And they – they just hated to lose. I mean, everything they did, they won. I mean, we'd put them in a two-on-two two or three-on-three three games in, in our camps. They'd win. They're just winners. And so I, I, I gravitate towards those guys <coughs> who are ultra-competitive. Mm -hmm. Got you. So the last question I got for you, um, I read Co Coach Roy Williams, you know, former head coach at UNC. I uh, love his book. Big, big fan of him and the school, obviously. Um, and he said something that's always stuck with me. So I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you know, in the in 30 years you're as a coach, you're, in 30 years, you're going to see something in the player that you coached and you better make sure it's positive. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, like, like a, a trait or a saying or, or something, you're going to see that in, in, in a player you've coached in 30 years, you know, what do you hope your players have taken away from their time with you? Well, I think, first of all, you, you hope that they, uh, take away some of the, some of the little things that you told them about, uh, uh not necessarily about the game of basketball, but, but about, uh, what standards they have. Uh, Jason Tatum is, I forgot to mention him. He's one of my favorite all-time players, uh, uh, Justice Winslow. But those guys still come back and say, hey, uh, Jawari Parker, hey, you know what? I, I remember this mind candy, and it comes to me, comes back to me every day, what we talked about in, in uh, our, our pregame practice, you know, uh, session. So uh, those kind of things, how, how their life has been affected based on the fact that they were with us. Uh, I think it's really good. Got you. So the last part of every podcast, I kind of turn the tables and, and ask if you've got a question for me. So. Oh I'm man. Throw, I'll throw that one your way. Yeah. Uh, what's one of the best podcasts you've had? <laughs> one of the best podcasts host, you mean? Guess. Yeah. I mean, this has been great. Um, I I really enjoyed uh, having Jay Billis on. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to work his uh, his academy. Um, I think that was three summers ago now, uh, and just his experience as a player and as a, most people don't know, he coached in three Final Fours. Right. Uh, they they forget that. So you know, he really does know his stuff. So. Um, he's obviously an entertaining dude as well. So he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely doesn't definitely doesn't mince words. So that was a lot of fun. 
Uh, great friend of mine. So, yeah. 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 Learned a lot from Coach Jones. You know, Coach oh, yeah. Jones was great. You know, I had my coach, Coach Pratt, on recently, uh, Josh Pratt. So, um, it's it's been a great way to uh, selfishly to learn, you know, from all sure. the people that I'm talking to. But it also gives me an opportunity to reach out to people. And, you know, I have a reason that I'm asking them to, to talk. It's not just, you know, hey, do you have 30 right. minutes to talk That's to right. a speaker about, yeah. you know, something. Yeah. So it's been a great opportunity for me to learn as well. It's helped in my development for sure. So, uh, you know, talk about where the, the people can find you on Twitter and then yep. we'll get you out of here. I'm sure you got something going on today. Yeah, check out uh... – uh, at D show 23 is my Twitter account. And you'll find I do. Everything is basketball related except for steaks. <laughs> I still pick the steaks, but you know, I'll, I'll do mine candies. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, it's really, I think I've gotten a lot of feedback that co- really helped coaches uh, that, that follow me on Twitter. So I think that's, uh, I try and do something with that. Uh, uh, you know, Snow Valley Basketball School coaches out there who want to would like to work it. Uh, it's like a clinic, coaching clinic for a week. Uh, just go to snowvalleybasketball.com and find out information. We'd love to have, you know, the players out there too. We have have, have four great sessions, three of boys, one of girls. So, so I think that's been uh, real positive. Uh, and then check out usab.com, our website uh, for USA Basketball. And check out our uh, check out our license, gold license. Uh, you can you can you can get uh, of all the speakers we've had over 250, 260 for our academies. All of them are on there that you can get that you can uh, listen to. So that's a great resource as well. Awesome! Thanks so much for your time, Coach. Uh, stay safe out and enjoy yourself out there. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.